Yo. <coughs> yo, yo. Try to get down to. I'm trying to hit that octave that one of our guests has today. Yo, yo. <laughs> yo. 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 Hey. Hey. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Keith Battle Podcast. I'm <coughs> Keith Battle. And I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to come back to you all again this week as we just try to share helpful information and content each and other every week. Sometimes we make you laugh, sometimes we make you cry, sometimes it just make you think. Whatever it is, we just want to be helpful. And I'm so grateful for our guests today who are with us here today to talk about a very important subject, and that is addictions. Um, how to overcome addictions, how to know when you are addicted, where to go from help, and all of that. And we have two people who are, on one hand, uh, unfortunately are veterans at it, but on the other hand, a positive hand, have had success in overcoming it and coming out of it. And I want to welcome our two guests today. First of all, Mr. Charles Brown. Hello, hello. Yeah, he's with us, and y'all may know Charles Brown. If you're anyway connected to Zion Church, Charles Brown is our vocal director for Zion Church in Landover and uh, has an extensive background in the music and singing and acting world. And Mr. Tony Silvers, a good friend of ours, also a Zion attender and and uh, D.C. native and got a story to tell. And we will hear from both of them today about their journey uh, from addiction to recovery. And uh, thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for being on. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, we're grateful that you all are here. So so why don't we do this? Why don't you all tell us the abbreviated story? Because, you know, everybody that's, that's been on drugs got a story to take 20 minutes to, <laughs> to introduce. So so give us the parsed out kind of abbreviated story of your first experience. Like, what, how did you get introduced to drugs and our, or alcohol or both? And how it evolved into something that eventually was out of control. Because you will admit, will admit that at some point, what was the thing was controlling you? It was running your life, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yep, yep. Who's going first? They both pointed at each other. This is on. You want me to start? <laughs> you don't have a story. <laughs> I got a story, not about drugs, but there are all kinds of addictions out here. You guys, it's not just drugs and alcohol. If you have an addiction to food, you have addiction to sex, you have an addiction to gambling, you have an addiction right. to shopping, you have addiction to spending money. You have an addiction. You can have an addiction to lying. Absolutely. You definitely yeah. have an addiction to sex. Yeah. In fact, I think that a lot of people just shift addictions. They do the thing that culture. The, some things are culturally accept, acceptable. Socially acceptable, yeah, right, addictions, right, right? right? Just drugs and alcohol ain't on that list. Mm -hmm. So anyway, let's let's go with you, the vet, Tony Silvers. Tell us how you got introduced and how it evolved. How where did it start and where did it where did it, you know how did it get out of control? It uh, actually started in my home as a kid. My father was the, <clears throat> as we call him, the qualifier in the home. He was okay. the one who drank. And he had two brothers who drank. And um, Okay. So just because you use that term, I got to break that down. Tell, tell our audience, what is a qualifier? That was the man of the house that created the whole atmosphere in the house. Okay. And because of drinking, the house was a drunken spirit. Okay. Most days. So a qualifier is the person who kind of sets the stage or makes 
makes provision makes the make the mess of the of the family setting okay all right that's all one right. that's what way you would define it yeah okay so he worked he was he was he was a heck of a provider mm-hmm. uh but when he came home he would always bring because of his work he would always bring home a half pint of johnny walker red or or, or, or black mm-hmm um, and eight packs of Miller Pony. So <clears throat> I used to watch him drink and transform, and it was ex- it was it was exciting to me. It was it was it was something that looked like I wanted to be a part of it because he would go from normal to fun loving. You know, mm. he would come in, and and I would always look at him with a with a look of excitement, like I wanted to try it. I wanted to see what my hero was experiencing in regards to feelings. And one day he said, come here, boy. Mm. And I couldn't wait. And I ran to him and he said, here, take this. And I looked around to see if my mother was looking Mm -hmm. because I really respected my mom at a young age. And he said, I'm the man of this house. Here, try this. Wow. And I tasted it. And the first thing that I was... uh, the first thing that I responded to was the taste, then the effect. Once the effect kicked in, I felt different. Mm-hmm. It gave me uh, a feeling of courage. And I acted as if I didn't want any more. But that was the manipulative part of my addiction. Instead of ruining a perfect opportunity for another time, I took that opportunity, stopped. And went on again the following day. Mm-hmm. Then it got to a point where I became so addicted to the feeling, I couldn't wait for my dad to get home. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's deep. Yeah. Is your dad still around? My dad died May the 6th of this year. Wow. He was 85 years old and he died in California. Okay. Yeah. Did he continue to drink throughout his life? Uh, I think he, I think he did stop after Alzheimer's kicked in. I think he stopped. Oh, okay. I think he stopped a lot of stuff. Okay. Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Charles, tell us your your. <clears throat> well, um, I grew up in a church home. You know, my mom and my dad both went to church. All saved. All we did church. You know, just like everybody else. You know, Sundays and Tuesday nights and choir rehearsal and everything. But. We had a. Um, my mother was best friends with um, another woman who had seven children, and my mom had six. So we kind of grew up as sister families type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one day I'm spending the night over their house, and they had, you know, sons that were older than me and younger than me and my age. And so we spent the night. And one Saturday morning, five o'clock, one of the older brothers, he was about two years older than me, he uh, he uh, tapped me on the shoulder. He said, "Come on, you want to go do something?" I was like, "Hey, sure, sure, sure." Mm-hmm. He took me in the back of a school and he rolled up a strawberry joint Mm. with a wire in it and I didn't know what it was and he just said inhale on it and hold it in if you cough then you know you really got it wow so at 12 years old he gave me my first hit I, I smoked my first joint and I got back what was, to... What's a wire? Some some um, rolling papers had a wire in it so that you wouldn't burn your hands okay. when you finished the end of the joint. Okay. So, <laughs> so it was a so wire was, inside. So was weed. Right, it marijuana. was weed. So, but the wire was in the paper so that you, when you smoked all the weed, you wouldn't burn uh, your fingers you. at the end uh, of I it. I got you. I got you. You didn't have a roach clip. No. No. no, no. <laughs> and how old were you, Tony, when your father gave you your first drink? I was eight or nine years old. Interesting. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. 
So when, when you so when you all would drink, right, or or smoke in your case or whatever it was, did you ever at that age or even early on when it started? Because because what you didn't say, Charles, is that first hit. What did it do for you? Let's start there. It made me feel grown. Wow. It made me feel grown because, yeah. you know, as an older person and because I felt like I was getting away with something. I felt smarter than everybody else. Uh-huh. I feel part of part of that feeling that I was addicted to was sneaking and getting away yeah. and being smarter than everything. Yeah. And then it led into having a double life. Yeah. My yeah, church yeah. life and my get high life. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot of people, I say that in the world of uh, uh, infidelity, what people don't understand is when two people are cheating mm. on somebody. The two people who are doing the cheating, it's not just the sex or the connection emotionally. It's the rush of feeling like we're the smartest people on the yeah. planet. It's like exactly. hide and seek. Remember the first time you were hide and seek and nobody could find you? Yeah. And they're like, we quit. We don't want it. We're like, I'm not good, man. We hey, we were hiding. right, right. We were right beside you. You didn't even see us, right? So that I can understand that. So when you all... Let's say when you're getting into your kind of groove and this is this is a daily thing that you're doing. Do you remember feeling shame or did you feel cool? What, what was what was some of the feelings that you had in doing? I know you said you felt powerful. Right. And you mm-hmm. felt like I was grown and slick. Yeah. Were there any feelings of shame that you remember early on? Not at all. Nope. Wow. Nope. Wow. My feeling of shame didn't come until 1987 after I took my first hit of crack. Mm-hmm. Wow. And my father died in August of 87, and I took my first hit of crack in October of 87. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was getting away with something. I, th- I, th- I thought it was just smoking coke because my friend was doing it. Again, it was another friend. Mm-hmm. And I had been sniffing cocaine since high school mm. and smoking weed and drinking sniffing cocaine in, in the nightclubs in the 80s, doing the hustle and all that. But when I walked into his room and he wouldn't let me in because he had all these beakers and everything and he was cooking up the free base, you know what I'm talking about, Tony? Yes, sir. Mm. And um, he said, you don't want it. You don't want it. And, he, and I told him, if he's doing it, I'm doing it. After that day was when the shame came for me mm. because from October of 87 until Christmas of 87, I became a homeless crackhead in those two months. Whoa. Mm-hmm. That crack was no play, no play game, huh? Not a game. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's around the time when it was really epidemic here. Because yes, you sir. were in Connecticut, right? I was right? in Connecticut. And Tony, you've been in D.C. area. Southeast. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but you remember when that when that, when that that crack hit the city, man, it was around that time. It, it was, was really it taking was, people out. Yeah, it was. It had gotten so bad. If uh, you remember the movie MASH, the show MASH with a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they started televising the activity on Fox 5 every night at 9 o'clock. It was called City Under Siege. Wow. Yeah, I remember that. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. When when How did y'all hide your stuff? Like, what were some of the hiding mechanisms that you used? Like, you know, because you, if you're drinking, because you, your thing was drinking. Yeah. So, you know. you It started you, out drinking. started out drinking, but you could smell alcohol on a person. So, what did y'all do? What did y'all do to kind of, like, look like you wasn't doing it? Well, first of all, it's hard to look sober when you're drunk. <laughs> right, 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 right. But it got to a point where I didn't even care. Wow. I didn't even care what people thought because I didn't care about me. Wow. I started deteriorating at a young age. It went from alcohol to marijuana. I started hitting a bong pipe when I was 13, 14 years old. And um, the people that I associated with 
was doing the same thing. So all I was really trying to do, and I didn't know it, but I was really trying to fit in. But the trying to fit in became addictive. And eventually, I became so messy with it that the people I was hanging out with didn't even want me around me. When you say messy, what do you mean? Careless. I got you. Starts. You're going to get you in trouble. You're going yeah. to get us in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd pick up stuff that didn't belong to me, and I'd come and help you look for it. Wow. Yeah, steal your stuff and help you to look for it. Yeah. And then, what, and, you know, the same, <laughs> I identify with that wow. because what would happen wow. is once your friends denounce you because you were the worst one of them, mm-hmm. like Tony said, then you find lesser friends where you feel like you're the kingpin. Right. Mm-hmm. So your crowd of people became less and less and less to make you feel better and better and better about right. yourself. Right. Wow. So what, what about you, Charles? Did you do things to hide? What were, See, were you, with you, me, were, you, were, you were living a real double life because you were a church guy. Right. So I did everything. And then in my in hindsight, people probably knew. But I just, you know, I just told them I was losing weight. I was just told them I was sweating a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I would, do, I would do Axe Spray. I would do Visine. I would do Listerine. Oh, yeah. I would put um, Long Johns and two, two pairs of Long Johns under my jeans because I was getting skinnier and skinnier. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I would put... Um, yeah. A wash rag balled up in my back pockets. Wow. Mm. I would wear total turtlenecks. Mm. I would wear foundation makeup and mascara. I would do whatever mm. I, because what my drug of choice did to me was it made me look like a skeleton. Mm. I lost a lot of weight. I yes, lost sir. a lot of color. I lost mm. a lot of redness. You know, um, you know, everything. Teeth look bad, everything. You know, this what what I love about your story, and I hope and if you're listening, I know this is 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 deep. These guys are not bragging. You know, sometimes when people talk about what they did, they think you're bragging. But what you're doing is telling, like, look at how much my life was deteriorating. Yes. Yeah. And you know, you see, the love of God was like hovering yes. through yes. all of that because you yes. could have died, you could have OD, somebody could have put a bullet in your head, like yeah. all kinds of things, like. How many close calls, if you were to just estimate in your head, like, how many times could you have died in that life? Like, just try to just calculate that in your head. Like, <laughs> I got four definite. I got four definite. For sure. For sure. One time I passed out in a snowstorm and I woke up and I was on the ground and there were cars running by my head. Wow. Because I had fell off the, the sidewalk and just fell asleep for a little while. And I woke up and there were cars whistling by my head. Another time, a drug dealer, twice, once in Miami <laughs> and once in Detroit, a drug dealer found out that I was the one that took his product mm-hmm. and held a gun to my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, you know. You wanted it that bad, you were still it. Yeah. Again, I just thought I was smarter than everybody else. I Most people don't think they're going to get caught, right? You know the whole you know the whole adage of of a, a teenager takes the vodka bottle, drinks some of it, and put water in it. <laughs> wow! I kind of was doing that with the with the drug drug dealer's product. I just take a kibble, just a kibble every twenty minutes, a kibble, and in my mind, the the pile looked the same. <laughs> wow! Wow! That's deep. Mm-hmm. That's deep. You couldn't even afford your own habit, huh? Oh no! <laughs> your you, no. your habit out out was uh, out. Uh, producing your income yeah absolutely what income yeah so, so that's <laughs> where i want to go work we stopped stop going to work a- after getting old enough to have a job i stopped going to school i stopped going to work i started hanging out in spots that i would see as a younger kid and say i don't know how they do that i would never do that and ended up becoming what i hated so so this <laughs> leads me to this question so if you were to say like you know 
if you look at opportunities, right? Like, if you're high all the time, you don't even know that opportunities are out there. Like, you, how how much how much do you think you missed out on? Or how much do you think? How much money you think you lost? Relationships did you lose? Opportunities, possibly or probably, that were kind of really, really just trashed, <laughs> just down the tubes. Just can you just think of that? Just the cost. Can you can you count that far? Well, mine again. Mine is real clear because I was on the track to be either a, a Broadway star or a movie star or a recording artist or something. Everybody in my hometown said that. C.C. Brown was going to be a star by the time he was 25. Wow. And now I look at television and all of the people that I did shows with mm-hmm. are like television stars. Yeah. But you've probably been dead. I would have been dead. Oh, You've been a famous dead guy. But they watched me go down. Whoa, whoa. They used to call me, the back in the day, they used to call me the screw up. Because mm-hmm. I would get a Broadway show, I would open it, and then I would go on a drug binge, and I would go MIA, and the cops and they would be, and the cops would come and find out if I was alive, and I'd mm. be in a in a in a uh, closet somewhere, paranoid to come out of the closet, and that happened yeah. three different times. They call that geeking. Yeah, <laughs> geeking, geeking so, is what. <laughs> you can't, paranoid? They can't see you. T- you got to describe it. You just paranoid. It. Well, you just, you just, you, you, I mean, it's, it's. You'd have to see it, but your eyes look like two silver dollars, and your, your thoughts are like out of space. And your wow. hearing is you're so, paranoid. Yeah, you're you hearing. You can hear everything. Yeah. Like you, you think you're hearing police cars, and you yeah. think you're hearing people <laughs> rappelling down the side of the building. You right. think you're oh, hearing. Man. You know what yeah. I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. But, but. Some people say, okay, so 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 I'm going to shift a little bit. So, you know, back in the day, I didn't really have a serious drug problem or alcohol problem, right? But dudes that was getting high and drunk, they would say, man, I'm going to get effed up tonight. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to get messed up. And it was like really, like that was the goal. Yep. Like, man, I want to get effed up. Yes. I want to get towed up. I want to get whatever, smashed or whatever word it was. We used to like, use the word blind. I want to get blind, right? <laughs> so I'm saying, how can that be a good thing for a person? What kind of pain were you in that getting blind and tore up made that feel like a goal? Because for me... I didn't want to be out of my mind. I always wanted to be cognizant of what was going on around me because the time when I did get high, that's what I lost control of, of my environment. Like, you follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have any sense of awareness of your environment. Like, you really walking on, like, barefoot on ice. Like, because mm-hmm. I can remember being high and not knowing how I got home. Like, you know, like, what happened, man? So, so was there some deep pain that you can you can identify to say, or or was the feeling that good for you? It just it just met chemically. It did something in your body that may have been different from somebody else. Because some people do look at people, look down on people who get high, saying, "How could you do that to yourself?" Like because we we eat like that. Mm-hmm. Like so, what what was it? Because when I don't know now when you look at it, like you don't want to get blind no. right like i want to see i don't want my vision talk do y'all understand what i'm saying yeah, yeah I do. The, the 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 thing with me is as i as i grow in this process when i look back in hindsight addiction is so deceptive mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. insidious mm-hmm. it'll have you believing that you messed up when you're not 
and that you're not messed up when you are. So mm. it's kind of hard to differentiate the truth from the false. Okay. So the feeling that I was getting was hiding the insecurities. Mm-hmm. I felt real insecure, especially after my Got dad it. left. When my mm-hmm. dad left, he my dad was very abusive to my mother. I can share that now because they're both deceased. Mm-hmm. But my dad was very abusive to my mother, and I watched that. Mm-hmm. I watched him abuse her after he started drinking. And I said that I would never do that. Mm-hmm. And then after he left, the pain in me got so great because now my hero has left me with my mom. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it was my mother's fault. <clears throat> but my father, without going into any detail, my father was living a double life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it hurt me so bad that when I turned to alcohol, I, I started out as a maintenance drinker. Okay. Trying to fix something on the inside of me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was always one time when I got that feeling. And that feeling was so elusive but it was good to me mm-hmm. i kept chasing it I, I made a decision i was gonna do it until i get that feeling again uh-huh. and i chased that feeling for probably 20 years that's that elusive high yes sir. i've heard of that i've yes, heard sir. of that now now how long have you two been sober and what made you what made you go to get help tell me that Let's start with you, Charles. You just had an anniversary, so I did. I just celebrated ten years clean awesome, and sober. Awesome, 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 awesome. Congratulations, man. Um, I tried my first rehab in nineteen ninety one. Okay. And I did actually nine inpatient rehabs. Nine. Nine. Now were these some of them were by your own choosing, or you somebody say you got to go? Or they sent you there and all that stuff. They always. They, some were by my own choosing. Sometimes I got so smart that when I ran out of places to stay mm-hmm. to show people I was sorry, I would go back to rehab. Mm-hmm. Okay. But to, the last you, three. You, you knew in your heart you weren't there to be sober? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I was going to give it a shot. <coughs> the, problem, okay. the problem is, and this is a, very important, a lot of people time when they, people come out of rehab, they think they're cured. Yeah. Mm. So they think now they know how mm. to get high. Right. So that now, was, They know how to what? To get high successfully. Huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, so when you get a some people, oh, 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 say that again now. Help me out, Tony, if you want to. The the the, <clears throat> the elusiveness and the insidiousness and the deception of it. Once you clean up, we call it an oil change. Oil change. Okay. So you dry out, and your mind, where the disease is centered, will tell you this time I'm gonna do it differently. Wow. I'm not gonna go that deep. Wow. I'm not going to do that particular drug right. in that in right. that combination. Right. Uh, I'm going to take my money. I'm going <clears> to <throat> put it in a uh, money order and I'm going to mail it to myself right. so I can't spend it tonight. It won't arrive at my house until three days later. Right. So I'm going to be high. more of a normal person, but I'm still going to go gonna, back to, I'm still going to dabble. I'm going to outsmart the disease. The disease got me last right. time. This time I'm going to do it right. Wow. And there's no such thing as a responsible addict. <laughs> wow, that's I would take I would take my money and put it in my sock like I ain't know where it was. Wow, mm-hmm. and I made myself a promise, but I would lie to myself every time. I ain't gonna do but one. So wait, so you <laughs> you've been that through those cycles too? So you yes, went to treatment more than once too? No, one time. So you only went once. That's how bad off it got. Huh? Yeah. What do you mean? <clears throat> I started stealing from my mother. I started not showing up at work. I started not coming home. 
when I came home, it looked like I had just gotten in a fight. I'd been up two or three days. They call them binges. <clears throat> Memorial Day weekend of 1992. My mother gave me an ultimatum. She said, and my mother wasn't a cussing w woman, and I'm not going to cuss, but she said, her, here was her ultimatum. You need to get some help or find somewhere to live. Mm -hmm. That's the clean version. Mm -hmm. I had burnt all bridges. Mm. Family didn't trust me anymore. You know, I used to have to, I say this jokingly, but I would have to look at my um, driver's license to see what my real name was because every time they would see me, they would say, that's a damn shame. And I thought my name. <laughs> <laughs> First name, damn. damn last, last name, name shame. <laughs> and I checked in. I checked in over the greatest Southeast. Then, you, then they added, you found out your middle name was damn. They said, what a. <laughs> Your first name was what a damn what a what, shame what a damn shame yeah. wow and so I checked in <laughs> by way of my mother I had uh, I was actually in a in a crack house and I was at gunpoint mm. young boy threatened to kill me over twenty dollars mm. and I said this same prayer that I had been saying every time I got myself into something I would say Lord if you get me out of this yeah, one for sure. I will never do this again yeah. and by this time Don't we God, know that prayer yeah God was tired because yeah. I was whipped. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And he opened the door. <clears throat> the dude had a pistol. It was two young dudes. They had pistols and they threatened to kill me. And after I said that prayer, everything that I had put in me just left. And I said, God, please help me. And the young boy looked at me and said, look, I want you to get. I was 33 years old, same mm -hmm. age that Jesus was when he was, when he was crucified. Mm -hmm. Am I correct? Yes, sir. 33? Yeah. I was 33 years old, and that was the turning point. And that guy said, look, I want you to get the F out of here, and if I see you in here, I'm going to kill you mm -hmm. again. And I turned around and walked, slammed into the door where there was a mirror. The mirror didn't even break. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hit it. Mm -hmm. I opened the door and left. Mm -hmm. And I went home and I tried to get twenty more dollars out of my mother's pocket, <laughs> and she turned the light on. You ever seen a vampire when the sun hit it? Mm. 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 And she—that's <clears throat> when she gave me the ultimatum. She went down to EAP on her job. Mm -hmm. They called over the Greater Southeast Community Hospital, and she said they got a bed. When I got over there, they said, "Oh, the bed was not available." So I said. Well, I'm going to go out and kill myself. Now, my version of killing myself is jumping in front of a parked car. I don't have that kind of courage. <laughs> right. I was already killing myself with right. the drugs and the right. alcohol. Right. And I stayed in Greater Southeast Community um, Hospital six days. And on the seventh day, I left and went to a spiritual group. And that, that's that been 27 years ago. It was May 29th, 1992. And you've been sober since then? Ever since. That's no awesome. desire, none of that because of... So, so let's talk about that. <coughs> 12 steps. Y'all believe in it? Yeah. Very much so. Talk oh, yeah. about them. Let's walk through each one. First step one is what? We admit we are powerless over our addiction that our lives have become unmanageable. That's 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 pretty obvious. You got to come to that place. And then an admission. Admission and acceptance. My life is unmanageable. Yeah. yeah. Admi this thing is strong. Admission and acceptance. Okay. Step two. Came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, hmm. which means that there was a God that was watching over our lives all the time that's greater than alcohol, that's greater than drugs, mm -hmm. that's greater than capers, street life, judges, mm -hmm. all that. And once I turned to it, it didn't matter how sincere I was. I was just in a lot of pain. And God's strength showed up in my weakness. Wow. Who started 12-step? Do y'all know the history of it? Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson. and Wilson. Dr. Bob. It was, it, was a, it was a broker 
and a and a psychiatrist, doctor. They started the program. Mm-hmm. Step three. Made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. As we understood and him. So That's the, the non-sectarian part of it where they're not saying it's got to be Christ or Buddha or Muhammad. Right, that right. keeps it neutral enough for anyone right. to pursue it in their faith. Yeah. Right? Some people say I can't. Step one is I can't. Step two is he can. If step three, if I let him. Good. And back in step two. They they allow you to develop your own conception of God, no matter how small or big it is. It's a starting point. Good, 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 good. <coughs> Step four. By the way, I just had a vocal cord injury, and in my vocal training, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to do that. What you're doing, you you're damaging your cord. <laughs> just so you know, I've been out for two and a half months. When you do now that, you're noticing in other people, right? <laughs> yeah, I've noticed everything. That is that is a volatile move on your vocal cord but we'll talk about it well you know that's amazing because i've been doing it for so long i'm addicted Uh, (laughs) 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 water drink your water so so step four step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory inventory of ourselves that's the hard one Mm. that took me a long time Mm -hmm. you had to face the man in the mirror yes sir a list of defects and a list of assets you know, wow. it's, the, it's, it's basically with me when I did a, a personal inventory, I wrote down everything <clears throat> that was blocking God from from entering, entering into my life. Fear, jealousy, envy, uh, all the ungratefulness, all mm-hmm. that. And uh, the longer I stayed in that stuff, the more I drank because I was trying to fix it. Yeah, that's you a, know what, I mean? what I love about the program. Is that it has taken into consideration all of these phases that people go through. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like you know, people <coughs> people talk about steps, right? Like mm-hmm. like it's a journey. But to me, you gotta keep going through this stuff. Like it ain't like Yeah, it ain't like, yeah, I'm on yeah, I'm on step nine now. Well you better be on step four all the time too. <laughs> step five. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another person the exact nature of our wrongs. Now here's where this is so biblically <clears throat> strong. First John one nine says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Yes. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, we can keep our stuff between us and him. But then James five sixteen says if you want to be healed, you gotta confess your faults to one another. Yes, sir. So there's some very as we are Christian mm-hmm. by by our belief space, our, our, our belief philosophy, yes. there's a very, very Christian um Theology in step five. Right, that's yeah. very real. That's that community. Right. right? Yeah. You know, you got to bring people into the circle, which is accountability, right? Yeah. But what they suggest is that you find somebody with a closed mouth and emotional stability because everybody can't handle your stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And it's not something we want to celebrate. It's, just, it's right. a confession. Exactly. It's an admission, right? It's an admission. And the fact that, by the way, but you all can't see this. I'm sitting here. We're having a conversation. These guys are saying these steps without looking at them, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> we're on step six. We got a lot of time. Step six. Where we go? Where we at? We were entire, oh, you go ahead. We're you want entirely me? ready to uh, have God the, remove all, all these defects of character. character. Okay. Seven. Humbly, Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Our Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. <laughs> that right there. That's that's the one right there. That that's takes the willingness. So not, But number nine is. Made direct amends to such people wherever, wherever possible, possible. Except when to do, do so would injure them, them or others. others. Absolutely. And, and the other could be you. Yeah, in other words, you can't gain peace at another person's expense. Amen. Amen. You know, I told told sometimes, right? Sometimes I'm very transparent, and I like exposing my shortcomings. And mm-hmm. but sometimes it's harder to carry 
a dark thing. But I got to carry it because this could hurt you if you knew this, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And sometimes we want to keep it 100. But, but but step nine says, no, you don't do that if it can cause injury to somebody. But there are people that you can go to, like therapists, psychiatrists. Yep. Absolutely, pastors. They, they're paid to have things confidential. Absolutely. They're, they're obligated right. by law. Obligated. Yep. Right. But exactly. there are also ways that you can make amends without hurt. You can find ways right. to make amends to that person who's on your list right. without hurting them or yourself. And you can way, write them a letter and they never get it. You write the letter, but the main thing that I found out in making amends is people get tired of hearing you say you're sorry, so you got to change the behavior. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. That's and amend is not a, an apology. <clears throat> right. Not not only at least it's not only yeah you got to make some changes changes yeah. in behavior the stuff that I used to do to hurt people now my family because I had to go to my family and apologize to them for stealing so they said well mm-hmm. what did you steal I stole I stole your love your I peace. stole your peace your mm-hmm. time your sleep. Your, all of that my <laughs> my mother got ill because of my behavior my addiction she mm-hmm. she developed a bunch of illnesses mm-hmm. so when I went to her she actually died. Uh, 30 days before my 20th year, and I was able to make amends to her and be peaceful with it. Good. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Number 10. Continue, Continue to, to take personal, personal inventory, inventory. And when we were wrong, wrong promptly, promptly admitted, admitted it. it. So it's a continuation number four. Yes, sir. Number 10. Number 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. him praying only, only for the knowledge of his will for us and, and the power to carry that out. out. Good, so it's a deeper walk from two and three. Prayer and meditation. Twelve. Having had a spiritual awakening as as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to addicts and to practice these principles in all our affairs. That's the hard part right there. Yeah. 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 I like I like the serenity prayer too, which is oh a part of it. You yes, know, sir. God grant me the serenity to right. accept the things I cannot change, mm-hmm. change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. I just think twelve step programs <clears throat> can work. I think I almost feel like people who are recovering addicts or from alcohol or, d- or drugs have stolen such a precious gift. Yes, sir. That so many people can benefit from those twelve steps. You know, can I? You got to you got to recover from something. Yeah. Even even being addicted to yourself. But what you really recover from is a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I'm able to I'm able to do things now that I wasn't able to do. Mm-hmm. When I was using, yeah. and, you know, and when it comes down to like I was saved before I became an addict, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Sure. Absolutely, to say that I had accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior before I, be- I became a full blown addict. Yeah, and what happened was the disease of addiction so perverted my relationship yes, with God yeah. mm-hmm. that I was standing on the corner praying in the name of Jesus for the car that I rented to the drug dealers to come back. Yeah. And expecting God, thinking that God was obligated to bring that car back because of the way I prayed, because of what I was taught. Yeah. So what I love about the 12 steps, Tony, <laughs> you know, and about this process is it's right-sized me yes, sir. and brought me back to being a servant That's God. what. That's the power of sobriety. Yes, sir. Right? Without, so, so I had my own addictions in my own life. I feel like I was a sex addict. Like, I just wanted, I just wanted women all the time sneaking like any, anywhere yeah, sneaking and freaking sneaking and freaking right <laughs> so but when you're not controlled by that behavior that acting out like my thinking is so sharper like have you in your sobriety tell me the impact this had on you mentally just your thinking processes physically emotionally what are some of the benefits professionally financially 
Um, <laughs> I just think your whole life goes up when you when you're sober. <laughs> look, he, look, just, he pulled so, out money. So, so, so Tony just stood up and just pulled out a, a wad of money that, that he wouldn't have none of that in his pocket if he was still on that stuff. Because when right? I'm using all money, cop money, yes, yours right. and mine. Not all money is what cop money. money. What's that mean? Cop. I'm, I'm going, going to cop. I'm going to get. Cop. I'm going yeah. to get what I want. So now you got some. Some what do you call it like overage or yeah su surplus? I mean, yeah. it ain't all perfect. No, but 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 I just feel like everything goes up. Your yeah. your acuity, your decision making. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah. Oh yeah, and the clarity, absolutely. My creativity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Major. Yes. You know health I mean? is good. Yeah. I'm sixty. And my health is good. Yeah. My, I went to the doctor and he 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 gave me a full physical examination at sixty, and he said. I don't know what it is that you're doing, he said, but at your age, your health is phenomenal. And I cried. And he said, why are you crying? And I said, and I'm going to give you all the clean version. I said, doctor, if you did all the stuff that I did to me in active addiction, everything that you told me I didn't have, I should. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which, which, which increases our gratitude, yes, too, sir. right? Yes, We're grateful. Wow. Yeah. We're grateful. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So so I'm like this. I like the way my behavior made me feel. Mm -hmm. I just don't like what it cost me. Like it ain't in the budget. Like I'm not ready to write that check. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like if it was yeah. free. So that's why I think I'm sober. But you, you know, know what, what I mean? You think it you think it'll cost you this much, but it always costs you more yeah. than you thought it was gonna cost. Oh yeah. Because it's more than just the cop money. Yeah. It's the stress. It's, it's the, the hiding. The hiding, yeah. the lying, the and cheating. The being unavailable, absent, and unreliable. For me, what was really compounded because relapse is a part of my story. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I sure. had a year before, I had five years of abstinence before, you know, mm -hmm. going back and forth. And the shame of thinking mm -hmm. that you're never going to be good sure. enough. Right. Yeah. Or God's never going to give you a, that pure opportunity that you screwed up a thousand times. Like yeah. That kept me down for so long, yeah. trying to break a cycle. Because I used to have a cycle, Tony. Yeah. You know. A you motorcycle? Know, <laughs> a bin cycle. Yeah, yeah. A bin cycle. The first of the month, my food stamps and my yeah. cash would get on my EBT card, you right, know? Right, 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 and right. I would get high from the first into the third. <laughs> And then I would go to the people that I got high to get me high from the third into the seventh. Mm -hmm. And then I would do despicable things from the seventh into the fifteenth. Mm -hmm. And then I would end up on my mom's doorstep mm -hmm. crying and sleepy from the fifteenth <coughs> to the twenty-first. Mm -hmm. And then I would get into my Bible from the twenty-first to the twenty-fifth. Yeah. And then I would get horny on the twenty-sixth. Yeah. And then I get irritated with you on the twenty-eighth. Mm -hmm. And then on the thirty first, I'm back at that phone booth, seeing when my my next yeah. thing gonna come in. <laughs> yeah. So right. I couldn't break the cycle, right? Mm -hmm. You know, right, right. Powerful, powerful <clears throat> stuff. What do you think was under it though? Like, I, for me, I had to discover what was triggering it. Like you talked about uh, insecurities, right? Well, the drugs and the alcohol was just symptoms of underlying pro issues. Yeah, it was medicine. I was right? broke. I was broken before at a, at a young age before I drank. Yeah, and being an only child, I also drank because I thought that was going to get me in with the in crowd. Mm -hmm. And eventually, once I got in with the in crowd, the crowd said, "Nah, bro." Not here. You can't do that here. And I think again, <laughs> but I hear the insecurity and in all of that, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Where do I fit? Yeah, fit then. Well, right. for me, it was just I always, even though I was around a lot of people, I always felt lonely and empty. I yeah. always felt empty. Yeah. Especially when I would preach, like when you minister, 
you give out so much mm-hmm. that if you have a place where you can go mm-hmm. that restores you and refuels you, mm-hmm. you'll be walking around real thirsty oh, and yeah. hungry. Wow. Oh, yeah. Because the stage gives you something. Actually, even though you're getting something from the stage, from being on the stage, you're also giving a lot. It's reciprocal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when those lights shut off and the doors close, like you can be a very, very desperate person. And uh, that's why I'm never surprised now when I hear preachers in revival just came off a platform in a con- and they end up in the hotel room with a hooker because it's a very, very rapacious moment. Yeah. Like, And everybody has to understand their rhythm. Like you yeah. had a rhythm. And so you were able to find now you had to. So what have you done? So systemically, let's talk practically. Right. So we know one thing you do is you go to meetings. Right. Yes. Because I believe that's your small group. We call it small group in the Christian. Yeah. That's your small group. Right. Support, that's accountability. Support group. Support group right. Yeah. Right. So one thing you do, you have that, that support group. Is there anything you do that you put into your system, your life that circumvents those potential because you know every day is a potential to crash right? Right, right you can have a relapse every day you may relapse higher like like you know that you know like i know why i did it i know exactly what i was doing but what have you what have you done in your life to kind of buffer or protect you from yourself and from your old ways five things tony right meetings mm-hmm. step work mm-hmm. sponsorship prayer life and helping someone else with no strings attached that was a, that's what i was taught by people like him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know okay yeah. but prayer yeah. prayer because mm-hmm. every morning i get up i pray mm-hmm. i reflect back over my life and i thank god that i don't have to walk out that door and do what i did 27 years ago good Good, good. Every morning. So y'all have a system in place. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Somebody might be listening right now that's got a loved one. Mm. And um, mm. it could be a close friend. It could be yeah. a family member. It could be a mom <clears throat> like your mom. It could be mm-hmm. a mom like your mom. Mm-hmm. People who really care. And uh, this person is abusing alcohol and or drugs. And what advice do you have for that person regarding what their addictive loved one might need from them mm-hmm. um, or not need. Cause we might say, you know, they, we think they need this, but they don't need that. In other words, what would you, what should they do? What, what, or what should they avoid doing? Counsel that person is listening that so that they don't become an enabler or whatever to a qualifier, whatever, like just, they just trying to do something. They're messing up. What, what, what does the addict need from their loved ones? In your I, opinion, I sponsor dudes and I always tell the loved ones, he has to be ready. You can't push him cause he's going to rebel and resist more. Mm-hmm. He's got to hit a spiritual bottom. Mm-hmm. That only God can bring him out of. Mm-hmm. Because if you try to do something, the old saying is we get high and everybody else gets sick. Okay. So if you try to stop this person from using, you only making yourself sicker because they're going to use until they're ready to stop. They have mm-hmm. to be ready. I had to be ready. And it took an intervention that was so strange because how does God allow too young as to pull pistols out on me and you walk in the mirror and then that crack and yeah. it not crack yeah well god can do whatever he want to do and seal it without anything really major happening to you so i would always tell women who have husbands men who have wives children who have mothers and dads they have to hit a spiritual bottom that's that's already tailor-made and designed for them 
The only thing that I believe these people do is run an interference. And how do they run interference? Be- try to stop them. Because and that's and that's the wrong thing. That's the wrong yes, thing. Yes, because they they think that they think that them helping them to continue or covering up their mess right. or cleaning up their dirt is to how they love them. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're actually you don't want to see him get in trouble. Don't want right. to see him go to jail. And or stuff. he's a good boy. He's just going through a phase or whatever that is. Right. My mother did. My mother, it hurt my mother so bad, but she had to make me, mm. she had to let me live in the homeless shelter in my hometown. Yeah. And she yeah. said, you can come over here and come to the back door and get a plate of food and you got to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm. She yeah. couldn't do no more. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know what I mean? Sometimes our families are, they help, conti- you know, every time they lend us money, every time they believe a lie. I'm going to pay you back. Right, right. I got, I got you next week. Every time the Christian mom <laughs> forgives them yeah. with no consequences. Right, right. That's not really good. And we feel that. like that's unconditional love, right? So did you all, when when you got tough love, mm-hmm. were you were you angry, angered by it? Were you embittered? And did you just come to a place later on where you say, hey, that's what I needed? Is that what happened? Mine, mine came from a stranger, from a total stranger. I was working with a guy, and he, and he said, I didn't feel like he was picking on me. Mm-hmm. He said, man, you look like you got so much going for you. He said, why are you doing that to yourself? I said, doing what? He was very persistent. Mm-hmm. And one day he said, why don't you come and hang out with me, man? Let's talk to some people, some friends of mine down at this club, and we talk about alcohol. And gentlemen, all I heard was club and alcohol. That mm-hmm. got me to show up. Mm-hmm. And once I showed up and saw all these other people who had stories similar mine to mine, and they got sober and they stayed sober, they were driving these cars. These women weren't looking like the women I was hanging out with. They weren't walking on the back of their shoes, popping mm-hmm. gum, rags on the head, mm-hmm. you know, cussing, spitting. Mm-hmm. These women were l- really beautiful women. And I thought, God, I really want that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It took some time, but, but you got a you got a picture of what could be from and you, that guy, and you got to keep coming, and you can't do it by yourself. You got to have somebody that's already recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to lead and guide you. We call them the twelve gates. Mm-hmm. You know, once you take them through the first eleven, when you get to twelve, then you get the new person to bring them back to the first gate. Take them. That's how we your, do that. What was your rock bottom, Charles? Mine was hearing everybody say again. Yeah. There you you locked up again. Again. Mm-hmm. You got robbed again. Again. You can't pay your rent again. You can't cook that, kicked out again. You going to rehab again. <laughs> you sleeping in the car again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> you stole from me again. <laughs> again. This is everybody just sick of me. My my world yeah. got because I was you know yeah. I was relapsed so mm. often that my world got smaller and smaller. I went through every single family member, every mm-hmm. godmother, every aunt, mm. every you know mm-hmm. bleeding heart white person that was that had a lot of whole mon- a lot of money. I went through everybody and everybody just like again. Mm. I'm sorry. Everybody was just washing their hands of me, mm-hmm. just sick and tired. Mm-hmm. Wow. My Broadway agent dropped me three times. Everybody, there was a, 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 a rumor, don't hire C.C. Brown. He's never going to finish the show. Mm-hmm. I had nowhere else to go. Yeah, talent, but at a better, terrible problem. Yeah, yeah, My last day, my brother was getting ready to kick me out, and I had to sneak out in the middle of the day because I owed the lady upstairs money. I owed the drug dealer across the street money. I owed the guy on the other part of the complex money. I had to sneak out and go to the emergency room. Because my world was so small, I couldn't go nowhere. It drains you from all gifts and talents. Mm. 
So so somebody's listening because and and they and they've been hearing y'all. They've been hearing y'all be real about what was and now what is, but they haven't let go of their drug habit or their alcohol habit and for whatever reason, maybe they think they got it under control. What would you say to that person that's listening who's still using, still drinking, still abusing drugs or alcohol? What 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 do you have a word for them? Anything you would say to them? So what was the word today in service? The day is coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's coming. Mm-hmm. It's coming. The bottom is tailor-made. When you hit it, get ready Appreciate for it. Appreciate it. Yes, Lord. And get the ready bottom is better than death. Yes, Lord. Yeah. If he, gives you, if he gives you a bottom before you die, then you... Well, I work with some people at... Uh, I won't tell you exactly where I work with them, but I work with men who have substance abuse problems. <clears throat> and until they make up their mind and surrender to the process... Mm-hmm. They buy over a period of time another method of how to, we talked about it earlier, how they going to go out and use successfully. There is no successful drug use. Mm-hmm. These guys go out here and take a hit of fentanyl, never had hit it before. And what we used to call it was a one hit of quitter. That fentanyl, fentanyl, what is, is that? Killing. It's something that they yeah. cut the dope with. It's, it's more some, fentanyl than it is heroin. It's mm-hmm. it's it's stronger than morphine, stronger yeah. than heroin. Yeah. And even if you touch it, the patch of it, it's yeah. a patch. If you mm-hmm. touch it, you can overdose from touching the patch. Yeah. That's how strong it is. And they go out and put it in them because they think, right, I'm only going to do this one time. And they're right because that one time is the killer. But can I say, I would, mm-hmm. what I would say to somebody is try 24 hours. Don't try to yeah. quit for the rest of your life. Yeah, day at a time. How about Try not, let's get through? Let's get through the morning. Yeah, and let's yeah. work on the, the afternoon mm-hmm. and go do something that'll that'll interrupt the, sp- the cycle for one day. Right. Yeah, right. So, I have a couple more questions because this has been great, man. It's been great, great, and I hope you all are getting blessed by this as I am. I heard someone say that for a recovering alcoholic, one drink is too many, and a thousand is never, never enough, enough. Right? We put great emphasis yeah. on this. So, so. <laughs> Meaning that 100% sobriety for the rest of their lives is often necessary. Would y'all agree with that? Do yes, you believe? Yes. So you don't. So y'all don't. Be, do you all think that there are people in this world who can drink alcohol and use drugs in moderation and never be addicted or devastated by it? Do you believe that there are people who exist like that? I believe it is. You just but know we, you're I, not one of them. We're abnormal when it comes to drugs and alcohol. Right. 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 I, two things I believe. First of all, I believe that alcohol can be done in moderation mm-hmm. for the rest of someone's life without yeah. many, a lot of consequences. Right. But when you're talking about crack and cocaine and heroin, yeah. no. Yeah, no, I don't moderation think, no, that. Ain't no moderation. No, ain't no moderation. I'm moderation. a moderate fentanyl no. user, huh? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> two more. What are your thoughts on the legalization of marijuana? What do you all think about that? More power to them. I can't smoke it. It don't matter to me. Don't matter to me. Hmm. I, I wouldn't mind them legalizing it. I don't care. I don't care. Do you think because because it's been criminalized? In, in other words, mm-hmm. people aren't just going to rehab for it. People spending time in jail for oh, yeah. a long time. Oh yeah. For having it on them, etc. Mm-hmm. It's a setup. Okay. Yeah. So you, but for you all, as as people, it's just yeah. you're in, I'm you a really pickle. don't have a pin, opinion mm-hmm. about. You know, it. they always say um, if you if the if the cucumber is saturated long enough, it becomes a pickle. Mm-hmm. But you can never make a pickle a cucumber again. Never. Mm. I'm a pickle. <laughs> I can't yeah. do no more. I've I've yeah. used up. I've I've used wasted all of my opportunities for legalized anything, mm-hmm. mind altering anything. I've used all of that. And have I'm, you found? Have you all found anything else? I mean, you, you can't find anything 
comparable to crack what it does to you because mm-hmm. it's doing something that, that you weren't supposed to do to yourself anyway, right? Right. You can't find something that's, that's like Johnny Walker Black that's legal, right? Mm-hmm. But if you found something in your life that provides enough joy and enough pleasure that has made that has made it a new maybe positive addiction yeah. like is it work for some people it's working with kids some people is worshiping the lord some people is using again what what is what has been your your oh, help me, what is what is your thing now zion church okay <laughs> big plug i appreciate yeah. it you know my my <laughs> uncle was 24 25 years clean mm-hmm. and he was in a home living in a um in a senior living place or something. Around the corner and a, from me. And a lady off of A Street was playing a message mm-hmm. of mine. Mm-hmm. And he heard it. He just heard a preacher, a speaker. So he goes down to a room and he's listening. He mm-hmm. tells me his story. And he's listening. He says, that's good. Then he looks. That's my nephew. So he, you know, he had never really been a part of my ministry. Mm-hmm. So... He used to go to Sunday meetings. He stopped replacing his Sunday meeting with the service. And that's how I got there. Yeah, which I thought was, I was really honored by that because I understand how important that meeting is. But the fact that he was able to remain sober by replacing a meeting with a worship experience, I thought was really powerful. Yes, sir. You know, can I say that one of my greatest joys now, and of course, my my music and creating and developing artists is really great, but my greatest joy is the pride that my family has in me. Oh yeah, from nice. shame to yeah. comfortable. Yeah, like my mom is comfortable. My yeah. my my sisters and my brothers they'll mm-hmm. they'll they'll trust me with their children. Yeah, right? yeah, like yeah, they'll yeah. they'll ask me for money. You yeah, know, what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like incredible to me. Like yeah. I still to yeah. this day, like oh, that yeah. is one of my biggest joys. Like that they'll call me and ask me about uh, something spiritual. Mm-hmm. Like I was the screw up of the entire seven generations of my family. Wow! And now they're coming to me for something yeah. substantial and stable. Yeah, that's a miracle. To and me. I have a son who's thirty one. Mm-hmm. And I was active. I was an active uh, abuser of drugs while in my son's mother's life. My son just called me the other day and said, "You know, my mother was diagnosed with diabetes." He said, "Call her and give her a good word." And I called her. We stayed on the phone thirty minutes. It was like nothing had ever happened between us, which means that that work that has been, has been done within has been delivered out with people now, like you said. People can see you and say, boy, you look good. But out of appearance is not always in with reality. The work has to be constant because those defects that we talked about, they line up and they look for opportunities to body slam you. And with with me, with me, now I done gone from, you know, that's a, that, that, you know, the name that I was telling you I, I done went from that's a damn shame to pretty Tony. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. <laughs> Look at here. Final question, guys. Just final question, your final words. How has your faith impacted your journey to a, to freedom and and sobriety? Talk about that and we're and we're out. My 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 recovery and my sobriety has made my faith authentic. Yes, sir. It's made it intimate. It's made it comfortable. Uh, my relationship with Jesus Christ is like I've never imagined before I ever was addicted. Mm-hmm. I'm almost grateful for all of those dark times because of the intimacy and the actual relationship 
with the Holy Spirit and the the minute by minute guiding that I rely on him for. Yeah. It's like I never had that. I never thought that was possible. I thought church and religion and saved in tongues. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at a place where like because of this process that we're mm-hmm. in, it brings me back to the God of my understanding, which is Jesus Christ. And it's just yes, like sir. It's a yeah. soft, intimate, Hallelujah. warm, yes. beautiful place. You get yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good to need them, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I won't be gone too far, Lord, because you right. know where I'll go without right. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, with me, um, you know, I can I go to a movie and cry. Mm-hmm. I can sit down and listen to a nice CD and enjoy it. And to end... I've had three cancer surgeries in 10 years, and I'm still cancer-free. And yeah. nobody can do that but the Lord. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. He's been your rock. Yes, sir. Mm. Yes, he ain't sir. had to go to the other rock no more. There you not, go. Not, <laughs> no, yeah. not that rock. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hey, guys, I can't tell you all how helpful this has been for you all to take the time out to share your story, your journey. I know this is going to bless somebody. And if you're listening, uh, there is hope for you. There's hope for your loved one. Hey, maybe those of us who are watching, we just need to get out of the way. Let them hit the rock bottom. Yes, yes. Stop running interference. Right. And just let them go through the process of getting the help they need. Thank y'all, man. It's been Thank great. Thank you, They sir. gave you all 12 steps. Yeah, buddy. Woo! We learned something about drugs I ain't know tonight. <laughs> I mean, wow, wow, wow. This was rich. This was rich. Hey, y'all, thank you for tuning in. Please spread the word. Please share this with somebody that you know that can benefit from this. Somebody who's who's related to somebody who's struggling or somebody who's struggling. Give them this message. It's going to bless their life. And thanks again for being a part of the Keep Battle Podcast. We're going to catch you right, right back here next week.